Well, turning your Bibles to Luke 13, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man, the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Why? Because he's going to die and rise again. He's going to pay for our sins. He is the final sacrifice for sin forever. Now, as we get closer and closer toward the end of the book, of course, Jesus gets closer and closer to Jerusalem. And he encounters the opposition from the religious leaders. And, of course, the closer he gets to his death, the worse it gets. They don't like him. They want him dead. We saw last time that Jesus talked about that as a whole, the nation of Israel has rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah. And individual Jewish people trust in him, but as the nation is old, they do not see him as the Christ. He has done the miracles, he's done the signs, he's done all of these things, but as a whole, the nation has rejected him. This morning, we're going to deal with the truth dealing with the kingdom of God. Well, what is this? When will it be? Who goes into the kingdom? Who will actually be in the kingdom and what will happen? Well, we're going to see that. And as we study, we're not only going to see Jesus declaring about the kingdom, but he's going to talk about the fact that he's going to fulfill the ministry that his Father has given to him. So two things tie together. Our goal is to understand about the kingdom and see Jesus' ministry as we go through this. There's a lot there. Well, you know, oftentimes as believers we pray a prayer which is often called the Lord's Prayer. It's really a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when he's with them on the earth. In that prayer there's a line that says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what is the kingdom? What's he talking about? What's this prayer talking about? You have to understand something. There will be a time on this earth when Jesus Christ comes to the earth and rules as the king and king of kings and lord of lords. He indeed is the king of Israel and he is the king of the world. God made a promise to David, King David. The prophet Nathan came to him. This is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17. God said to David, I promise you that you will have a son, David, who will sit on the throne, who will be the Messiah and the King of Israel forever. That's the promise. It would be fulfilled, of course, in Jesus as he comes to the earth as the king, as he rules in righteousness and justice. This time, and, and, and when you think about the kingdom, there are really two aspects of it. And you may never have thought about that. Listen carefully. There are two aspects of the kingdom. First of all, that there is the time when he comes to this earth and he rules for a thousand years on this earth in Jerusalem. We call this the Millennial Kingdom. It's found in Revelation chapter 20. This is when Jesus comes the second time. Uh, Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11, he comes. And in chapter 20, it talks about he rules for a thousand years. That's the kingdom. That's the fulfillment. But there's more to it because there will be a new heavens and a new earth. At the end of the thousand-year reign, he makes a new heavens and a new earth. This is found in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, in which Jesus Christ as the king will rule in the eternal kingdom forever. So when you think about the kingdom, there's a double aspect of it. There's a time on the earth in which he rules from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And then there will be a time after that, which is called the eternal kingdom, which he rules on a new heaven and new earth in the new Jerusalem. And he rules for all time. And it's called the eternal kingdom. So that's how it fits. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God, sometimes the gospel of Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. We're going to look at that and see how it fits together. This morning, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. Well, let's begin. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross, to pay for sin. He is the final sacrifice for sin forever. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the sacrifice and the substitute for our sins. All who believe in him have eternal life. All who reject him are separated from ever from God. 
as we see these events in the life of Jesus Christ, realize that, and it's really sad, but the nation as a whole, the Jewish people, because he's come and he's offered himself as the king and Messiah, and the nation as a whole has rejected him. They do not see him as the Messiah. He has done the signs. He's done the miracles. In fact, if you look at Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61, all the things the Messiah was to do, Jesus has done, but they do not believe in him. This morning, as we look at chapter 13, beginning about verse 18, two things stand out. He's going to talk about the kingdom, and then he's going to talk about the ministry. And it's his ministry and how he finishes what God has brought him to do. Now, last time we saw the nation of Israel, and he told them, he said to the nation of Israel, you need to believe in him or you will perish. That's what he told the people, because as a whole, they rejected him. And he gave them one more sign. We found it at the very first part of chapter 13. There was a woman who had been bent double for 18 years And he heals this woman on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. And what should have happened is the people jumped up and down and went, He's the Messiah. Only only the Messiah could do this. But instead of doing that, the religious leader stood up and said, There are six other days you could heal people. People don't come in here and do this. They were mad because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They continue to reject who he is. Well, this morning, we're going to see some truths about the kingdom and about his ministry. Let me break down the passage for you. It's a long passage. We're going to go fairly quickly through it. But first of all, this first part, verses 18 through 30, deal with the kingdom of God. He compares it. He talks about entering the kingdom. And he talks about the banquet. And we'll give you details on that as we go through it. Then the second part of the chapter or the message deals with the ministry of Jesus. Herod threatens, or we'll see Herod's threat and then we see jesus says i'm going to complete my plans the plans that the father has given him well let's see the passage the first thing that he deals with in this starting at verse 18 is the kingdom of god and if you want to think about it this way the first thousand years is we call it the millennial kingdom at the beginning of the millennial kingdom is a banquet and some call it the marriage supper of the lamb we know that what's going to happen is jewish people and gentile people all people from all history who have trusted in jesus are going to come together for a banquet He talks about it here, but he he begins to talk about what the kingdom of God is like. Notice what he says, verse 18. So he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like and what shall I compare it? What's it like? See, the kingdom, and we're thinking now, first just think of the first thousand years on this earth. Later, the new heavens and the new earth and the eternal kingdom. Now, what he's going to show is the kingdom starts off small and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. In fact, that's true. A few people believe in Jesus, or back you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, and on and on. And so it starts small and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. In the Old Testament, it started with a small number, grew bigger. In the New Testament, we think the church starts with a small number, gets bigger. Notice what he says. He says, what shall I compare it to? Verse 19. Well, it's like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his own garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the, bran- and the birds of the air nested in its branches. Now, he says like a mustard seed. Now, for the Jewish people, the smallest seed that they knew about was a mustard seed. And a little bitty seed. And he said, it's like this man had this mustard seed, little bitty seed, and it started off a little bitty, and he threw it in the ground, and it became a tree. In fact, it was such a big tree that birds could come and live in the tree. So it started small and got bigger. The kingdom of God is that way. Start small and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Start with Adam and Eve and Seth. And then Noah and his three sons. And then Abraham to Isaac and Jacob and the 75 of the family. And then the church starts with the 12 apostles and it goes to the 120 believers and then bigger and bigger and bigger. Here's his point. The kingdom begins small and gets bigger. Gives a second illustration. Verse 20. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? How shall I compare this? 
Well, it's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Well, we know what leaven is. It's like the yeast, and you put it in the flour, and it spreads throughout the dough and the flour. And he says it's like this woman who had some leaven, and she hid it in three pecks of flour. Now, let me tell you this. A lot of times when you look in the Bible, when the word leaven is used, sometimes it's used for evil, like the leaven of the Pharisees. In this passage, all he's using is an illustration of something that starts little bitty and then spreads out and gets bigger. He says it's like leaven, which this woman took and hid in three pecks of flour. Well, three pecks of flour is about 50 pounds. So he says, starts with a little leaven, 50 pounds of flour, and before you know it, the whole thing is leavened. It's spread out. And so his teaching is this, that the kingdom of God may look small, but it will continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Do you realize that one day there will be, as the Bible says, myriads of people, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people who trust in Jesus Christ and are in the kingdom of God. In the book of Revelation, where John is up there and he sees this throne and Jesus is on the throne and there's just thousands of people, so many people he can't count them, and he turns to an angel. John says, who are these people? And the angel says, these are just the ones who believed in Jesus who were killed during the tribulation. I mean, there were so many he couldn't count them then, and that's just the ones who died for Jesus Christ during the tribulation. So when you think about the kingdom of God, it's going to start small, it starts small, but it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, when people think about the kingdom, I just want to bring this up for just a second. I've had people say, I don't know if I really want to go to heaven. Because, I mean, you just kind of hang around, right? You just hang around, like sit on a cloud or something. I've had people say that. I say, well, first of all, uh, heaven's not heaven in the same way that we think of it. The only time we're in the heavens is when a person dies and their body's on the ground and their soul and spirit to go to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus Christ is in the heavens now, in heavenly places, seat the right hand of the Father. That's not where we spend eternity. Jesus Christ comes back to this earth as the king and he sets up a kingdom that rules on this earth for what? A thousand years. Then he makes a new heavens and a new earth and he rules on the new heavens and the new earth from the new Jerusalem for all eternity. So you're not in the heavens sitting on a cloud going, what do we do next? You will be with Jesus Christ and based on how you served him here you will have opportunities to serve him, not only in the thousand years, but in the eternal kingdom. The book of Revelation, chapters 21 and 22, says, and we will serve him forever. It's not sitting, it's serving. So when people say, well, I don't know what I'm going to do all that time, uh, he'll tell you what to do, okay? He will tell you what to do. It's going to be powerful. So sometimes people get concerned about it and say, say well, about heaven, actually, it's the kingdom. The kingdom on this earth for a thousand years and the kingdom for all eternity. Now, he's going along and somebody's going to ask him a question. Notice verse 22. Now, he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to realize he's going from town to town. He left the northern part of Israel, Galilee. He's come to the southern part of Israel, Judea, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, the ultimate plan is to go and to be crucified. He's going to die on the cross to pay for our sins. That's the plan. He's on the way. But notice what he's doing. It says he was passing through from one city and village to another. What was he doing? Teaching. See, some people have this idea that all Jesus did was just tell stories. He didn't tell stories. Sometimes every now and then he'll throw a parable out. We're going to see a parable in this. But Jesus taught. He taught the Word. 
people would say, this man teaches with authority because he taught the Word of God. Because he is the Word of God. He's the living Word and he taught the written Word. And so as he's on the way to Jerusalem, he's teaching. And it says, and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. You know, I told you back about two chapters ago that that was the turning point. And from that point on, Jesus, the whole rest of the book, even though we still got a whole bunch of chapters to go through chapter 24, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem to die for our sins. Now, this is a question. Somebody's going to ask him this, this question about, about people being saved. Notice what is asked in verse 23. And someone said to him, Lord, are just are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, let me stop. If you have an NIV, if you have some other translations, it's a little confusing. The New American Standard tra- translates it correctly in the Greek. It literally says, are there just a few who are being saved? Present tense. He doesn't say, are there, a few pe- how many, are there just a few people who will be saved? He's not asking, this question is not, how many people in all of history are going to be saved? The question is, are there just a few people being saved now? That's the question. And of course the answer, Jesus doesn't really answer it. But the answer is yes, because when Jesus came, the nation of Israel did not receive him. A few of the Jewish people believed in him then. John 1.11 says, He came into his own, his own people, and his own did not receive him. And so the bottom line, when he says, are a few being saved, he's meaning right now. And as a whole, the nation of Israel did not believe in Jesus. And continues even to this day. There are, there are individual Jewish people who believe in Christ as Messiah and Savior. But as a nation, they have not. They will one day, but they have not. So the person just asked this question, are, a, are there just a few who are being saved? Some people have taken this verse out of context and said, only a small number of people will be able to go to heaven. I've had people say, oh, it's going to be small, small, because the gate's narrow. It's the gate's narrow, and only a few can get through there. And the whole rest of the people, there's just going to be a small group of people ever make it to heaven. There's going to be a huge number of people with Jesus Christ because He is a God of grace and mercy. He has provided salvation to anyone who will believe. And it's that simple. The question here, as Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, is are only a few being saved, being saved now? And He doesn't answer it by saying yes or no. He then challenges and says, you guys, what you need to do is enter into the kingdom. Now, I want you to know that synonymous with salvation is entering the kingdom. Entering the kingdom. So when he says, you want to enter the kingdom, you want to get into the narrow door, you want to be there, because that's saying you want to believe, you want to have eternal life. The way we enter the kingdom and to get to be with the thousand-year reign of Christ and for eternity with Jesus Christ is by faith in him. So the question is, are, a few, are just a few being saved now? And he said to them, watch what he does. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For I tell you, for many I tell you will seek to enter and will not be able to. Now I'm going to go in more detail in a second. But the question, sometimes people say, we're, we're just a few being saved. Do you remember the question when Jesus, and we'll, we'll get to it, we've seen it in one place, but when Jesus asked the men, they said, who, who do you think, who do the people say that I am? He asked his disciples, who do these people, the Jewish nation and all these people who are following him around, who do they think he is? We might expect that they would say, well, Jesus, they, most of them think you're the Messiah. The answer was, 
Some think you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. Some think you're Elijah. And some think you're one of the prophets. Not one of them said to Jesus, they think you're the Messiah. And then that's when Jesus looked at Peter or looked at them and said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. So I want you to understand, at this time, Jesus, on the way to Jerusalem, even though there's crowds following him everywhere, don't think that they're all believing in him as the Messiah and the Savior. There are some that do. But don't think they all are. Because there's not going to be many days after they're all standing there throwing stuff down as he comes into the city and praising God. It won't be but about three days that they're all saying, crucify him. So just get this. So the guy asked, are a lot being saved at this time? And he said to them, you better strive to enter through the narrow door. For For many, I'll tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Trust Jesus Christ so you can get into the kingdom. He says strive. The word strive there means to struggle. Make an effort. The door is narrow. And let's talk about what this means. I think there's two things we're going to look at here. First one, let's think about what does he mean the door is narrow? It's a narrow door. Strive to enter the narrow door. I've had people say, well, it's narrow because you have to live just right and, and there's so many, you know, you've got to have your little rules and, and you've got to be just right to get through the door. That's not what it's talking about at all. It's narrow because there's only one way to enter it and that's through Jesus Christ. It's narrow because there's only one Savior. One of the other Gospels says, narrow the door that leads to life and broad is the way that leads to destruction. That's right. Because it's broad is the way that leads to destruction because there's all kind of other ways to think about a person can try to do something to get to God. There's only one right way to get to God. That's Jesus. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. It's narrow because it's only Jesus is the Savior. Not a whole bunch of other ways. It's not our goodness. It's not somebody that lived 1,500 years ago. It's, it's Jesus and Him alone and that's why he says strive to enter through the narrow way it's narrow because there's only one way I mean you know people today that will look at you and say there are a lot of ways to God there are a lot of different names for God all over the world people have all these different ways to get to God there are not different ways to get to God there's one way to get to God it is narrow it is Jesus Christ He's the one that brings us to God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through Him. There's a second thing I want you to think about. Not be able to enter. Notice what he says. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I will tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. You know why they won't be able to? The door will be closed. It'll be too late. Now, in the context of this passage, he's dealing with the nation of Israel. He is offering himself to them as their king and Messiah. And what he's really saying to them is, there's going to be a time, it's going to be too late. The door's going to be shut. Now, for any human being, it's too late when you die. Hebrews says that it's appointed for man to die once, and after that, the judgment. So any time a person dies, if they haven't believed in Jesus Christ, the door is shut. It's too late. That's why the Bible talks about now is the day of salvation, and that can be translated in a lot of different ways. But it is a truth that while you're alive on this earth, that's when you need to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. And since you don't know how long you have, you need to trust in Christ for eternal life. And so he says, strive to enter through the door. For I tell you, many will seek to enter. They won't be able to go. In this context, it's the nation of Israel. He's offered himself as the king. It's not going to be very long from now that he's going to be crucified. Die and rise again and send back to heaven. That doesn't mean it's the end of it. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and gives the nation of Israel another chance and says, 
save yourself from this perverse generation. Jesus died and rose again. He's the Messiah. He offered himself to the nation. There was 3,000 trusted in Christ on that day. Jewish people from all over the world. They had come there for the Feast of Pentecost. Now he's going to show a parable. Because see, it's too late once the door is closed. And he uses this parable about this man, about this man who, the owner of the house, and he shuts his door. And once he shuts the door, he won't let anybody else in. Watch what he says, verse 25. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you, notice he points right back to these Jewish people, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you're from. He's using this picture. Once the guy gets up and says, the door's closed, that's all who's coming to the party. Because there's a party. There's a banquet. And once he shuts the door, the door is shut. And so he says to the Jewish people, once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside, and you knock on the door, and you say, Lord, open up to us. And he said, I don't know where you're from. I don't know where you're from. It's too late. Now, that's for the nation of Israel then, but the truth is, for any of us who do not know Christ, if you die, when you die, it's too late. That's why we want people to put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. He says, I, I don't know where you're from. He doesn't have, you know, to be with Jesus, we have to have a relationship with him. They say, watch what they say, we, we uh, uh, open up the door, and he says, I don't know where you're from. And then here's what they say. We... Uh, then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. He's used the nation of Israel because at a point in time in history, Jesus walked among them. And they said, well, we ate and drank with you around and you taught in our streets. We know who you are. Listen, he was with them, but they were not with him. I understand that. He was there offering himself to those people. And as a whole, the nation rejected him. You, you taught in our streets. That's right. But you didn't believe what I taught. They saw him as a teacher, but not as the Messiah. Watch what he says. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. Now, I'm going to explain that verse just a little bit. It's like the, the owner is going to, the door is shut, and he says, I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. You got to leave. You can't come to the party. You can't come to the banquet. See, the banquet's at the first part of the thousand-year reign on this earth. He's using that analogy. He's saying it's like the guy having a party, and he gets everybody in there who's believed, so to speak, and he shuts the door. And the people who didn't believe, they come up and say, hey, we decided now we'd like to come to the party. It's too late after you die. Now, he calls them evildoers. That's really not a great translation. It's, depart from me, those who work unrighteousness. That's what it literally says. Those who do unrighteousness. All people do unrighteousness. We're all sinners that come short of the glory of God. We're all unrighteous. And only by faith in Jesus Christ can we have righteousness. In fact, Isaiah 64, 6 says, Even our righteousness, our goodness, things we try to do as filthy rags. By faith in Jesus Christ, we get righteousness. He's announcing to the Jewish people who he's standing there in their midst and says, One of these days the door's going to be shut and you are going to be outside the door knocking saying, Let us into the banquet. Let us into the banquet. And he's going to say to you, Sorry, door's closed. I don't even know where you're from. If you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you are righteous and you will be in the kingdom at the banquet. 
If you do not believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you are unrighteous and you will be separated. You will not be in the kingdom. This is to the nation. Now, I want you to understand something. Most Jewish people, even at this time, even some today, most Jewish people thought they were automatically going to be with God. They were automatically going to be in the kingdom because they were descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and they were Jewish and they were God's people and God automatically would let them into the kingdom. And if you ask them a question, okay, you're Jewish, you're going to be in the kingdom? Of course I'm going to be in the kingdom. What about that Gentile over there? Gentiles? They're not Jewish? They're not going to be in the kingdom. That's what a normal Jewish person would think at this time. What does Jesus say? I want you to understand that being Jewish made them God's chosen people. He chose them for service. Each individual Jewish person had to believe or has to believe in Jesus as Messiah, just as any person in this world has to believe in Jesus for eternal life. Just being Jewish did not save anyone. Just being part of the chosen nation, the chosen people, and they still are His chosen people, and they will always be His chosen people, but that didn't automatically give them eternal life. It comes by faith. It's always been by faith. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. Always that way. So what what he says. He says, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where is that place? Outside the door. It's the analogy. Outside the kingdom. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you, Jewish people, you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom but yourselves being thrown out. He says there's going to come a time that the kingdom happens and there's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob because they believed in the prophets and they believed and they're all going to be at the party and you're going to be looking in going, I'm Jewish, how come I'm not in the party? Because you didn't believe. It's that simple. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. That always has an idea of pain and sorrow. It's suffering. Those who reject Jesus Christ as Savior will be separated. I read this story. It's a, it's a, not a real story, but a man tells the story of this older grandma, and she was walking by this street evangelist, and he was urging people to believe. He said, if you're not, if you do not believe, you'll be separated from God, and they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the grandma looked up and said, I don't have any teeth. He looked down at her and said, teeth will be provided. That's right. (laughs) There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The great sorrow. Now watch this. They're going to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets, and they're not going to be there. Why? Because Abraham believed and Isaac believed and Jacob believed and the prophet believed, and any person who's ever believed will be there. They won't be there because they didn't believe. And watch the next verse, and this one really upsets them. He says, and they will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Who is they coming from north, south, east, west? It's the Gentiles. There will be believing Gentiles from all over the world come to be in the banquet. You know who that is? That's us. Any one of us in this room who have believed in Jesus Christ, we're going from the north, south, east, and west. We're going to be in the banquet. We're going to be with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we're going to sit down at the banquet. And these Jewish people who are living at the time of Christ who have rejected him, and the truth is any human being who has rejected him throughout all history, they're going to be outside the door going, how come we're not in the party? Because you didn't believe. But they really won't say, how come we're not in the party? They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because they will be provided if you don't have any. (laughs) 
They will come from the east and the west and the north and the south, recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Now I'm going to go fast through the last part of this, but notice verse 30, because a lot of people mix this verse up. Notice what he says, and behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Notice, I think we've got it. The last who will be first, that's the Gentiles. See, they never thought they would be in the kingdom. They're the last ones that would ever be in the kingdom, but they're going to be there. And the first, that's we Jews, we're going to be in there. They're going to be last. Those who thought they would be Jews are now going to be because they rejected the Messiah. And those who were not thought to be in the kingdom, some of the Gentiles, they will be. We have seen this great truth. There's going to be a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. And everyone who's ever believed in him, Jew or Gentile, will be in the kingdom. Everyone who's ever rejected him will not be in the kingdom. In the context of this passage, Jesus is talking to the Jewish nation who is rejecting him while he's on the earth. And he's telling them, you're not going to be in the kingdom by rejecting me. When you reject me, you're going, there's going to be Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets and people from north, south, east and west. And they're all coming together and you won't be there. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room will be in the kingdom because you have trusted Christ as your Savior. He died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, offers to you eternal life, and eternal life is the kingdom aspect. You'll be with Jesus forever in the thousand-year reign and then all for eternity. Now, very quickly, I'm going to do this last part where Jesus shows that he's going to finish his ministry. Verse 31. Just at that time, some Pharisees approached him, saying to him, Go away from here, uh, leave, for Herod wants to kill you. Now, it looks like some Pharisees are coming up and warning Jesus about Herod wanting to kill him. That's Herod Antipas. Well, let me tell you something. Here, the, the Pharisees don't care anything, care anything about Jesus. They would love Herod to kill him. The reason they want him to leave is because he's bothering them. He's come from the northern part of Israel to the southern part of Israel, and they want him to go back to the northern part of Israel. So they say, why don't you get out of here? Herod wants to kill you. Watch what he says. And he said to them, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons, perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. He says, okay, here, tell, tell Herod this, tell that fox. Now, the word fox is a negative statement. It's, it means cunning, deceitful. It's kind of the guy that, that tricks you, and he, tell, he calls Herod that. And he says, you can tell him, but I'm going to finish my ministry. I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I reach my goal. Now, he doesn't really mean that I got today and tomorrow and then the third day I'm getting to Jerusalem because it's still a good ways. This was a Jewish way of saying, I've got my plans and it's going to be completed right on time. I got today's, I got tomorrow's, I got my third day. I got my stuff I'm going to do. He says he's going to complete the goal, the goal is to die on the cross and pay for sin. He came to fulfill the will of the Father, and that was to die for us, pay for sin, and rise again. Notice he says, nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day. i got to go finish my plan, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Deuteronomy 18.15 was the prophet. That's Jesus. He's supposed to die in Jerusalem. He says, it's not possible that I would die somewhere else other than Jerusalem. So I'm going to finish my plan and I'm going to Jerusalem. Watch what he says about the city. You know, when you think of Jerusalem, I love, I love, I love the name Jerusalem. It means Jehovah's peace. Jaru is, is Jehovah. Salem means peace. It comes from Shalom. So Jerusalem, Jerusalem is Jehovah's peace. It's the place where God brings the peace. And when the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, comes, he will. And you look on a map and you see this whole world. And right this little bitty dot is Jerusalem. And it's going to be the capital of the world. 
And look what he says about this city. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you would not have it. He said, I want you to believe in me. I want to gather you together. I want to bring you under my protection just like a chicken does or little bitty chicks. And he's bring, I wanted to do that and you won't listen to me. And then look what he says. Behold, your house is left to you desolate, and I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let me explain it to you quickly because I know we're out of time. But he says, your house is left desolate. It is. See, they're going to kill Jesus. He's going to die, rise again after three days. He's going to walk on the earth for 40 days. He's going to descend into heaven. And then the church is going to start 10 days after that. And then it's going to begin the ministry. But the Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem, the persecutions are going to begin from the Romans. It's going to get worse and worse. And by A.D. 70, Titus, the Roman general, is going to come in and he's going to level the temple. He's going to destroy it and he's going to destroy most of Jerusalem. And the house will be desolate because when he uses the house, he's talking about the temple. It was destroyed in A.D. 70. Has it ever been built back? Not yet, but it will be. And he says, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know when they're going to say that? Now, if you look ahead in the Gospel of Luke, on, on the day that he comes into the city, a few people are out there waving and shouting and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about when the nation of Israel recognizes him as their Messiah and King. That's when they're going to see him again. You know when that happens? That happens at the second coming. Revelation 19.11, when he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to set up the kingdom on this earth. Happens right at the end of the tribulation. Jesus will not come back as a baby. He will not come back as a suffering lamb. He will come in all his glory and power as the lamb of God, as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who will rule in righteousness. And all who believe in him will be with him for the thousand years and then on in eternity. And all those who do not believe in him will be separated from him for all eternity. What have we seen? The kingdom of God begins small and gets bigger and bigger. Jewish nation at this time as a whole rejects Jesus Christ. After a person dies, it's too late to enter the kingdom. Jesus said that these Jews will be left out and they'll see Jews and Gentiles in the kingdom. Jesus said, I'm going to fulfill my plan no matter what. And one day, Jewish people, they're going to believe in him as a nation. Let me give you some applications very quickly. Let's gain an understanding concerning the kingdom of God. Let's gain an understanding. Let's see how it fits. A, it begins on the earth for a thousand years and continues for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. So just realize that's how it starts. Starts it, And every one of us who believe in Jesus is going to be there. B, to enter the kingdom, we must come by faith in Jesus Christ. You want to, let me tell you, you don't want to be outside the kingdom. Okay, it's not going to be any fun. Weeping and gnashing. Just remember that. He's the Savior and all who believe in Him have eternal life. See, both Jews and Gentiles will be in the kingdom. The last will be first and the first will be last. So I pray that every one of you in this room know Christ so you can be in the kingdom. Second thing I just want you to think about, Jesus will complete his ministry. He's going to do what he said. A, in his first coming, he came to die. He came to die on the cross. He's going to Jerusalem to pay for sin. When we see the cross, we see Jesus Christ, the one who died and rose again, and all who believe in him have eternal life. B, he's going to come a second time, and he's coming as the king, and he will rule for a thousand years. He's going to rule forever and ever, but he rules for a thousand years on this earth, and then for all eternity on a new heavens and a new earth. 
May we trust Christ as Savior so that we can have eternal life and be in the kingdom. And may we live in such a way that we bring glory to him so that one day we can serve him forever and ever and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. Lord, may we understand the kingdom, how it starts right here on this earth for a thousand years and all eternity. And all who believe in Jesus Christ will be in the kingdom. It will be both Jews and Gentiles. Lord, thank you that Jesus will complete his ministry not only the first time he came to die, but even the second time he will come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. Help us to make application. I pray, Lord, that everyone in this room has trusted in Jesus so they will be in the kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.